You can hear me? Good. Let's start in prayer. Father God, thank you that we can be rooted in your word day and night. Not just for 20 minutes on a Sunday or two minutes when we remember. But thank you that that is there for us every moment of every day to be rooted in you. Amen. Well, here we are then. I've got to know you as well as I can over my two years here as your lay pastoral assistant. And I've got to know a little bit about probably most of you. Um, but I've shared two years of, of my journey with you and it's been a great adventure. This morning we're looking at a passage of scripture that depicts two paths, both offering an adventure but only one offer an eternal life. But as well as pie in the sky, there is also cake on the plate. And we also look at what walking these paths looks like for us in this life now. As we look at the elements of each adventure, all I want you to do this morning is one simple thing and answer, who am I, really? And what adventure am I on? I suggest... That in looking at this through the lens of this psalm, we'll observe what path you are walking, the ground on which you are standing, and the ultimate destination of the path on which you sit or remain. Now, when it comes to a passage about adventuring two paths, there's a certain element of me that should be able to own this message this morning. So, during my two years with you as an LPA, which comes to an end today practically and tomorrow officially, I've lived with two very possible paths in front of me. A call towards ordained ministry or a call to the vocation in the police service. Both, I can tell you, are an adventure, but only one is God's desired path for me. In the resolution of deciding which of these two paths to tread, it's involved making a number of decisions and choices Some of these choices have involved walking or actively making steps. I chose to move house, chose to leave uh, leave my career, chose to apply and come and work here. Choices made by me and my family to walk the path of exploring church ministry. In making a choice to work here, I've come to realise quite a lot about where I stand personally and spiritually. I am an evangelical, standing on the Bible as my authority in God's word. I am driven. I can be negative. I like to encourage. I like to work to a vision. I am loving learning how to preach. I can be very unsociable. I'm in the main a loner, and I've been learning to love, not just to fix. But in summary, however, I've come to learn that on my own, I stand on dodgy ground, And with God I stand on solid ground, with the firm foundation of the gospel. And I've come to be assured of where I sit or remain, which is in God's grace, and at the end of this vocational adventure in eternal life with Jesus Christ in glory. This adventure involves me making lots of choices. There have been an awful lot of choices on my part. There's been some choices on the parts of other people as well. Some of the main people that... You've sent me off to sea who helped make these choices. 
um, get together at what's called a bishop's advisory panel. That's basically where the final decision's made about whether you're going to be a vicar or not. So you sent me off to one of them. Thank you very much. Um, and they helped me answer the question that I'm asking you this morning. Who am I, really? And what adventure am I on? So you might never have read a bishop's advisory panel report before. So just out of interest and for your reassurance at how accurate these reports really are, I thought I might take a little bit of a risk and share some of mine with you this morning, but that'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Andy has shown signs of considerable personal growth, describing his progress in the last few years as godly maturity. It is in the light of the trajectory of growth that we saw we judged he has met this criterion. Andy showed compassion and some practical care, though his tone at points could have been more sensitive. (laughs) Accurate, isn't it? Andy understood the need to agree a vision collaboratively, but then he spoke about being task-orientated and became frustrated with those who did not work to an agreed vision, describing them as apathetic and concluded it might be necessary to leave people behind. I am not perfect. (laughs) But I am on the right path. My question to you this morning is, are you... In Psalm 1, the psalmist isn't so much looking at paths of vocation, but paths of life and eternity. The psalmist dissects what it looks like to be on the path of the blessed and the path to destruction. The psalm observes the ultimate choice a person will make and the ongoing choices about where you will walk, on what you will stand and where you will sit, both in terms of what you do in this life and indeed what you shall do in the next. I'm not making a case today for Christian perfection. I'm not saying that if you're not walking, standing, or sitting in the right place all of the time, then you're eternally damned. Same way as I wouldn't say that just being a good person alone makes you saved. My back report, as you've seen, shows off more flaws than a B&Q showroom, but I'm on the right path. Can you say the same this morning? So let's look at our choices of walking, standing, and sitting, believing that God alone ultimately makes that choice. But as my walk has shown, I think, is played out through the choices we make every day, which show who we are and what adventure we're on. So please turn with me to page 543 of your church Bible. Psalm 1. Who are you and where are you walking? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. When you use modern technology to dig into the root of a word in the Bible, it's amazing at the variation of words that can come up, that come out of it. But the root of blessed, as far as I've done it correctly, means happiness. So for the man and woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, they belong to a class of eternally happy people, speaking with an eternal perspective. I want to belong to a class of eternally happy people, So let's see where they're walking, or interestingly, where they aren't supposed to walk. The word walking means you are departing, or where you went to. It's getting at the point you'll be making active steps somewhere. The verse warns us of making steps towards being in the council, or joining in the plans and schemes of the wicked. We also know that a linked root word of wicked is guilty. The language behind these original words, it's very legal. Guilty involves being outside of the law. 
This psalm isn't strictly talking about keeping the human law, but it's suggesting we should be walking inside of God's law. The psalm's anonymous, and as such, its context is difficult to place. However, verse 2 goes on to explain the delight of this blessed people is in observing God's law. Verse 2. The law of the Lord, we assume, is relating to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. However, and in my opinion, aided by its anonymity and its lack of providence, I believe God intended for this psalm to mean much more than just the Torah, but to describe a Christian's delight in God's word in full, the written word of God and Jesus Christ, who, as we know, is the word made flesh. So this psalm advises us on the adventure path we shouldn't walk on, the path of the guilty, living outside of God's law, but it directs us as God's saved, happy, blessed, to delight in the law of the Lord. But aren't, aren't we all guilty of lawlessness or rebellion at some point and at some level? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Whilst we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem, buy back us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, and listen to the next bit, eager to do what is good. I think that this passage in Titus offers us another lens at which we can look at this statement of being blessed. Our blessed hope is Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us from all wickedness and makes us eager to do what is good following where he walked. So if the start of our walk is to delight in God's word as redeemed, bought back people, and to it we shall turn to now look at where our walk should continue 1 John, chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, which is us happy and blessed people, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Assurance. That's fantastic. We're on the right path. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we are on the path of the blessed, we will be walking in the same way that Jesus walked. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to be poor and suffer? Maybe. I came across a short story this week told by an anonymous Christian. It's about a Major General Charles George Gordon who served in China some few hundred years ago. When the British government sought to reward General Gordon for his brilliant service in China, he declined all money and titles but accepted a gold medal inscribed with the record of his 33 engagements. It was his most prized possession, but after his death, the medal could not be found. Eventually, it was learned he sent it to Manchester, God's great own country, the North. (laughs) During a severe famine, directing that it should be melted down and used to buy bread for the poor. Under the date of its sending were these words in his diary. The last earthly thing I had in this world that I valued, I have given to the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given me, in my two years, four-bedroomed house in a nice area, an active church family, a beautiful wife, a beautiful son, and I'm here this morning with you fine people. I cannot say this isn't prospering for me now, in one sense of the word. 
But I can say that truly prospering is remaining in God's word and plan, not having physical items. It's God's eternal glory for me to be comfortable at this time in my life. And sometime soon, I wouldn't be surprised if he asks for it back. All I can pray is that God uses every part of my life to release the oxygen of his glory, as hopefully I can say the same as Major General Gordon, that the last earthly thing I had in this world that I valued, I have given to Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you again, who are you? And where are you walking? Is it with Jesus? Who are you and on what are you standing we move on, or stand in the way of sinners. The word stand is that idea of where we stuck fast. The psalm warns against being stuck fast in the way of sinners. Um, again, the root of the word comes back to a legal definition of offenders. Proverbs thirteen twenty one offers the plight of offenders and sinners under the same language, describing how they're pursued by misfortune. Well, I don't think there's a strictly worldly sense to this psalm, or this linked proverb, or God's message this morning about where to stand. I've preached to you before that there is an eternal perspective to observe. If it was the case that all sinners and offenders were pursued with worldly misfortune, we wouldn't have phrases, would we, such as, why do the wicked prosper? We see sinners and offenders doing rather well for themselves in this world, owning what they consider to be prosperity, but not so much with an eternal perspective. Verse 6 reads, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are delighting in other stuff when they could be delighting in the law of the Lord. This is the barrel over which God puts Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. I read from verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now here's a guy stood on the foundation of worldly power, worldly wealth and worldly authority. It goes on, it says, Then I had a dream that made me afraid. As you may be able to recall, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about a tree, a large tree that touched the sky. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. Then a holy messenger from heaven came down and shouts for it to be cut down. Verse 17 states, Funnily enough, using legal language the same, The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Psalm warns us of standing in the way of sinners. The eternal misfortune that will be theirs and God's authority to overthrow things of this world that we stand on. Because we should be standing and delighting in the law of the Lord, God's word in the Bible, standing on God's grace, which was perfectly displayed through Jesus Christ. Are you standing on something that this world says is prosperous are you standing on the firm foundation of the gospel for him delighting in the law of the Lord verse 3 says whatever he does prospers just as Nebuchadnezzar in his dream was compared to a tree not rooted in the things of God this psalm uses the same metaphor but for a person who's rooted in the law of the Lord verse 3 He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Firstly, I think it's interesting to note, um, a tree doesn't plant itself. It's planted by a gardener who knows the best place to put a tree is by the water so that it's nourished in the right way. 
So to be a blessed, redeemed person, to delight in the law of the Lord, because it is where he has planted us, where we will be nourished best. He wants us planted in the word, in the Bible, and in relationship with the living word. I don't think it's a step too far to say it really does boil down on one level to reading, studying God's word in the scriptures, and being in relationship with him. I don't see in this passage... A call just to hold intellectual knowledge without taking action around it. I see the rooting in God's word being God's nourishment for the outworking of his glory through our lives in service to others. The psalm says, whose leaf does not wither. A leaf's job is to release off oxygen into the environment around it, allowing life. Are we rooted in the word, the law of the Lord, and are we giving off into our atmosphere? our surroundings, the oxygen that is the outworking of God's glory, bringing life. Are we seeing life all around us? Or are we withered leaves? Is the nourishing water not getting to us for some reason? Are you prosperous with that eternal perspective? Are you releasing into the atmosphere with your lips as you communicate the gospel message and your lives as you demonstrate it? I ask you again, who are you? And on what are you standing? Is it the gospel? Who are you and where do you sit? Well, that's what it looks like on these two adventurous paths with regards to where we could walk and where we can stand. But where will you sit? Back to verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not, jumping ahead a little bit, sit in the seat of mockers. The word for sitting implies that settled nature of your status quo. It's the end point of a progression in this psalm from walking, standing, to sitting. A A progression to being an inhabitant or a dweller of a place. During my research, the root of the word mockers came back to ambassadors, defined in a modern sense as an active participant in a cause. This psalm's crying out against being a well and true, tried and tested, signed up member of a path to destruction. Verse 4 describes where mockers sit in stark contrast to the blessed, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked are not rooted in the law of the Lord. The only eternally viable source of nourishment, they're blown around by the winds of whatever's blown around at the time and it inevitably blows away. Verse 5 continues, the wicked, the guilty, those not redeemed, will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Well, that's all right. That's not a bad thing, Andy, that, to dodge judgment. It seems to me that it's upon receiving judgment in full that that's where we also receive mercy in full. No judgment, no mercy. Righteousness has got many words that can describe it. Staying with the legal language, the one that comes to mind, and I think quite a popular one that comes up when you do searches, is innocence. The wicked will not stand in the assembly of the innocent. They will remain in the company of the guilty, the eternal company of the guilty. And even though we're all guilty on some level of being sinners, we are blessed because we are redeemed and progressing towards eternal life. Not because we've made our actions fit what looks like a blessed person, but because we've been redeemed. And the nature, the natural outpouring of redemption is not to walk or stand or sit in opposition to God. Which leads me up to a little soapbox. 
and it's my last day, so I'm going to do it. If proclaiming Christ is the difference between two paths, we should be talking about Christ. I worry when I hear people say, I want people to see Christ in my actions alone, because when you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar of sin, where is Christ in your actions then? Maybe if you explain Christ and then act, come the hour, come the cookie jar, people will see a sinner saved by grace who they're happy to journey with, not an empty situation. Likewise, I worry when books teaching about salvation and talks explain how to search for the hero inside of yourself or dig deep for a better you for salvation. It's all well and good that, But don't forget, you are not a tree who waters itself. Your growth isn't down to your own brilliance. It's down to a gardener who's always known you are best placed in his word. I get down from my soapbox. We see the behaviour of those on a path to destruction. They walk away from Jesus, stand on worldly foundations and sit in eternal separation. But where does the blessed man sit? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. The difference between where you sit as a blessed person and where you sit as somebody destined to perish is Christ and Christ alone. Who are you? Where are you sat? This passage, it throws some massive rocks around Despite an ever-increasing number of options this world offers you for your destiny or even your identity, the fact remains, whether you like it or not, there's two paths, one for the blessed and one which will perish. I hope you've been able to answer the question of who you are, really, as I've had the time in your company and in your church and in your care to answer that for myself. And I pray, looking at who you are, you will realise, like I have, that the adventure isn't about me, really. It's not about Andy Bunter and his unusual like of confrontation. It's not about Ben Artis and his ability to wing most things in life. It's not about Lucy Wynn and her uncanny ability to know things before you get to know them. Or Will Warren, his unusually brilliant insights into the Word of God. Or Alan Strange and his unique skills. It's about Jesus Christ, who has chosen to reveal himself through you, his church. So finally, as a church, who are you and what adventurous path will you be taking, Holy Trinity Norwich? Where do you sit? Are we a church blown around by whatever culture or popular idea comes along and then leaves with the wind? Or a church rooted in God's unchanging and living word, meditating on it day and night, not just one hour on a Sunday. Where do you stand? Are we a church stuck fast in the concerns of our own worldly survival? Or are we a church of well-nourished leaves, affecting the world around us, giving off God's glory? And where are you walking? Are we a church afraid to walk the path that God has got for us? Or are we a church willing to walk where Jesus walked, giving everything that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
funny thing about where you're walking. It's not so much about where you've been, it's about where you're going. And I'll finish there. Let's pray to finish. Lord Jesus, very simply to finish, we ask you would make us eager to walk with you, stand us on the firm foundation of the gospel, and sit us on the right path, both now and forever. Amen.